It's August 26, 2020, and welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, uh, we have Kiahi Selhorse from Purple Maya, and he is here to tell us about an opportunity to upscale with Salesforce. And, okay, uh, and then after, right after that, we'll have uh, Francella Ocello, and she's from Next Century Cities, and we'll talk about digital equity and why the U.S. needs to rethink its policy of digital access. Of course, at first I want to let you know about something happening with the uh, Mano Heritage Center. They're having uh, virtual conversations. The first one that's coming up is, or actually the next one's coming up with uh, Dr. Sam Gahn. It's going to be tomorrow, August 27th, 5 p.m. It's Zoom. It's on Zoom. It's free. And he's going to be talking about discussing the similarities and differences between Hawaiian and Western knowledge systems and the future of collaborative knowledge and sharing to benefit us all. So I will post the link to our show notes later on, and you can go ahead and register. It's, again, free. It's a virtual conversation. It's on Zoom, and it takes place tomorrow, August 27th at 5 p.m., of course, now I'd like to welcome Kiahi Selhorse from Purple Maya, and he's here to tell us about upskilling through a program with Salesforce. Welcome to the show, Kiahi. Thanks for having me, Bert. Appreciate it. Well, I love all your guys' programs, and uh, Purple Maya has been doing a lot of, uh, you know, trainings and and uh, getting uh, kids in kind of K, I guess what K through K through nine or. K through twelve uh, with uh, computer science, and I love the integration of computer science and and Native Hawaiian cultural principles and values. Uh, but now this is something a little bit more geared for adults. So tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, as you know, we've been focused on the K through twelve education and training pathway. Uh, now we've just launched the Hiapo program. It's an adult education and training. And um, we are starting September with a Salesforce training. So Salesforce is a, a back-end software for companies to organize their accounts and their contacts. And then we're going to help people uh, learn that system and teach them how to customize for other companies. So what, what uh, gave you the idea that, you know, you, you needed to let's, uh, pivot a little bit and, and, and try to provide a program for adults? I mean, obviously, there is a, a definite need. And, and how did you identify that need yeah you know so um because of our experience with underage young adults uh we noticed that there is a demand for higher incomes and we wanted to make a greater impact in the community and we think we can do that through entry-level tech jobs Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we know that salesforce um there are customers here using it and we also know that they're sub uh subcontracting that work off island and overseas so now the Salesforce training that you're providing, what, is that, what does that get you? Yeah, so this is a certification program. So we are training for the Salesforce Administrator Certification. Mm-hmm. So after 14 weeks of training, our students will be able to schedule that exam, pass that exam, and be able to put that on their resume and LinkedIn accounts. And that will open the doors for jobs related to Salesforce. And, of course, beyond that, we're teaching um, the ins and outs of the software, how to navigate and how to customize each instance for an organization software. Now, when somebody uh, achieves that certification and goes through the program and gets uh, uh, goes through the exam and, and gets the uh, diploma, so to speak, will will Purple Maya, the organization, help to p- place them? I mean, is that part of the 
I know that's maybe a little bit uh, beyond the the actual program, but uh, do you think you might be in a position to help place some of those uh, graduates? Yeah, it is absolutely a part of our mission. So we've already started conversations uh, with employers currently. We are working on an apprenticeship starting in January 2021. We are working with the state uh, to introduce some internships as we speak starting September 1st. Are you are you looking at primarily uh, filling the demand with local businesses, or are you also potentially looking at opportunities uh, with companies on the mainland? Yeah, that's a great question. So obviously we are a Hawaii organization, and we want to help the small businesses here. But uh, the beauty of our system, and of course because of COVID, um, we're teaching remote skills outside of Salesforce as well. So mm-hmm. um, how to handle yourself on a digital meeting, uh, communication tools, um, you know, ways to be organized and transparent in this distance uh, work, remote work environment. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, you know, because uh, just as a, as a side note, full disclosure, you know, I do work for DBED, and one of the programs we're very interested in is is the remote worker uh, type of opportunity. And if there are uh, positions that could be filled with local workers uh, that are working for companies that are located elsewhere, uh, we definitely want to explore that. So I will talk to you offline about that <laughs> later on, Kiahi. Sounds good, Bert. Thank you. So, so Kiahi, again, where can people sign up for uh, this Salesforce training? Yeah, our website is purplemaya.org. There is a programs tab, and you can click on workforce development. And uh, when is the deadline for this sign-up? Because it's coming up pretty quick, right? Absolutely. So the class starts September 8th, and just for your listeners, we're keeping applications open for two more days. Well, see, that's the benefit of listening to Bite Marks Cafe, and I really appreciate Kiahi, you sharing with us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Okay, and of course, uh, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Francella Ocello from Next Century Cities, and we'll talk about digital inclusion and digital equity. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hawaii Naturopathic Retreat Center. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm happy to welcome Francello Chilo, who is the executive director of Next Century Cities. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you so much, Bert. I'm really excited to be here today. And of course, uh, Francella, you are calling all the way from the far reaches of the United States on the East Coast <laughs> in Washington, D.C. And it's uh, probably six hours. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, and I really appreciate the fact that you stayed up late just to call us. I did, and I am here with you in partnership. I feel this, like this is something that's important. It's not just urgent because you see it on the news, but it's urgent um, because there's something that we can do to make it better. That's great. And so just to you know, uh, let our listeners know, I mean, what does Next Century Cities do? Next Century Cities is a nonprofit organization. Uh, we are based here in Washington, D.C., but our membership uh, includes over 200 municipalities that go all the way from coast to coast, um, from Maine all the way to your state in Hawaii. Honolulu is one of our member cities. And all of them share something in common, and that is a commitment to provide uh, affordable, reliable, high-speed uh, broadband or Internet service uh, for all of their residents. So what we do is we uh, essentially give them platforms um, to engage in every level of government, local, state, and federal, 
Um, we work on um, making sure that policies are actually uh, shaped around community perspectives, not just what outsiders say that communities need. Uh, and we're also a part of the conversation about elevating success stories because we want to make sure that uh, municipalities can learn from one another's successes. And and you've actually uh, met our, our mayor, uh, Mayor Caldwell. Yes. Yes, I was. Um, yes, I was. It was uh, it was a chance meeting uh, when I was in um, Atlanta, Georgia. We were at a uh, smart city summit and it's a smart city expo. It's one of actually one of my favorite conferences mm-hmm. um, pre-COVID. And uh, uh, Mayor Caldwell, he was actually in um, the session when Deloitte uh, hosted to have a conversation about small cell deployment. And so I was really excited to hear him bring up digital equity and making sure that every community was going to be able to benefit from new technology, um, not just the communities that were more affluent, but to really get into the places that were a little bit harder to reach. No, so you bring up a great point, and and whether it's uh, internet access or even five G technology, it it really kind of depends on on where some of the commercial companies deploy their infrastructure, and oftentimes they will deploy in areas that they will get the best kind of return on that investment, and and that's sort of what leads to the whole issue of of digital equity. And so maybe what what um, I'd like to have you do is maybe define what what do you how do you define digital equity. Well, at Next Century Cities, we think of digital equity as meaning that every single resident in every community has access to affordable, reliable, high-speed connectivity. And that means that you don't just have access to it, but you also have the digital tools as well as the literacy to take advantage of those digital opportunities. So it goes beyond just having the infrastructure of getting into those communities. We want to make sure that people are able to actually get online, and that often actually does require a subscription um, because we're not able to just depend on public Wi-Fi. We want to make sure that people can have ongoing subscriptions that are not interrupted, um, that they're affordable, and that people are able to actually, once they get online, to not just be able to open up an email account or you know, cruise in social media, but to actually contribute to that digital ecosystem. And what has you know what what the uh, pandemic has really shown a, a big spotlight on is the fact that a lot of communities uh, aren't uh, connected and I think uh, oftentimes you know in in pre pre COVID days you know most of the people who have connectivity and and have access to the internet I mean and are in in positions of of influence right they they don't really think about all the folks that perhaps don't have a connection and then so when when the whole pandemic hit it became really clear especially now in fact today was our is our um, in fact midnight tonight is our first uh stay at home well it's actually a second stay at home order i mean there was one that was uh, announced mm-hmm. back in march and now this is the this is the second one so a lot of people will be uh well they're already used to you know learning or distance learning and and in um you know doing work at home and and various uh you know telehealth services but not everybody's connected so in, right. in the effort to try to, you know, achieve this sort of digital equity, uh, again, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's not only just the access. I mean, it's, it's the adoption. Or is it affordable? And then it's the literacy. And so these, all these things that are combined into helping to define what digital, liter- uh, digital equity is is, is uh, quite uh, all-encompassing, I would say. And one thing I want to add just about the literacy piece that you mentioned, very often we talk about literacy as if it's a static piece of something that you're saying it's like one part of, you know, adoption and literacy. And I think that we, we all need to be thinking about what kind of community partnerships do you need to actually have 
um, literacy that is um, that evolves with time. So the thing is, if we think about what was the the phone that you had in your hand, you know, five years ago from today, um, it probably looked different. It had different applications. It had different capabilities, and you had to learn more to be able to take advantage of it. So I don't. You know, when we're talking about literacy, I always want us to be able to think of that as, as something that's going to continue to evolve and making sure when we're thinking about successful networks, um, are we also putting in place successful partnerships that can nurture that? Because it's not enough for people to have baseline literacy. What's going to be expected of us five or 10 years from now is going to look very different. So, you, again, you bring, you bring up a great point. When you talk about partnerships, I mean, what sort of partnerships do you see occurring that help to foster a continuum of learning in digital literacy? Well, I think that it depends on where your community is starting. And I think you brought up a point about COVID and how it's really changed the landscape and really highlighted um, um, for those of us who work on uh, digital advocacy, um, they've highlighted statistics that we already knew were there. Mm -hmm. um, first, I want to give credit where credit is due in Hawaii. Um, you actually do have very high adoption rates. There are a lot of um, Hawaii residents that do have access. It's actually over 90% of Hawaii residents have um, access to a computer. Um, but you still have around 15% of Hawaii residents that still do not have broadband subscriptions at all. So we know that even in places where there is maybe a higher than average median income, um, it, it is highly connected, you still have groups of people that it's just hard to reach those populations, whether it be phys physical barriers, whether it be cultural barriers, affordability issues, there are a lot of layers there. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about what do communities need, we also have to think about where are you starting? Because COVID forced some communities to have this conversation for the first time, whereas other communities have been having it for years. Mm -hmm. And so it, it doesn't matter where you're starting, the point is that you start. And I think that it's really important for us to constantly center digital equity in all of our broadband planning. So it doesn't matter if we're talking about actually deployment and we're talking about the infrastructure and in which neighborhoods are we going to serve, which ones are going to get, whether it's, you know, uh, coax cable, fiber, satellite, whatever's your choice. Uh, we're agnostic in terms of your methodology, but we're thinking about, okay, how did we decide which communities we're going to get access and when? And then taking that additional step to say, okay, which communities need a little bit more support? And so some communities are going to start in a place where you don't need as much support to get that subscription through the front door, whereas there are going to be other maybe indigenous communities or uh, Native Hawaiian communities that might need a little bit more maybe community buy-in or a little bit more partnership building with people who are already in those communities. Mm -hmm. So when we think about what partnerships need to exist, there are going to be some cities that are able to do it with city partners and partnering with departments. Um, for example, uh, the city of Detroit um, uh, partnered with this, the it was the courthouse partnered with the Office of Digital Inclusion to provide iPads so that people could uh, participate in court hearings. Um, you have places like the city of Arlington uh, where they actually partner with housing communities to actually make sure that people who have access to low um, affordable housing also have access to affordable internet. Um, but then there are also successful partnerships, for example, in, in North Carolina, where you have really successful partnerships with, um, you know, university or community, like citizen advocate institutions that are driving those conversations. So it, it doesn't matter which model you choose. I just think that it's important for everyone to center in all of those conversations 
that there's an actual need to make sure that every resident can get online and that there's also a benefit inured to a community when all members of the community are able to participate in that ecosystem. Now, you brought up some uh, examples, and, and those examples are in, in uh, different cities, different states. What do you think, uh, you know, obviously they had to start the conversation, but what was the catalyst mm-hmm. that started the conversation and that and had, <clears throat> had enough uh, um, sustaining power to continue? Because, you know, obviously when you talk about like even digital inclusion, uh, your example was that uh, it, it actually was from an office of digital inclusion. So it, it obviously started with, a, started with a conversation, but it, it, it resulted in actual establishment of, you know, a full, full-fledged office. So what, mm-hmm. what, do you think, what do you think are the elements that actually make that happen? Well, sometimes it's going to be residents making noise. Uh, yeah. I think about uh, recently we met with a, a resident in um, Durham, uh, New York. Uh, her hometown has less than 3,000 people. And, you know, she and a couple of other residents are literally putting pressure on local officials to say, we need broadband in our community. Find a way to make it happen. Uh, we just participated in a um a community forum with citizen advocates from Arlington. Uh, that's why I was familiar with their partnerships. Um, and that's where citizen advocates are actually, they started a petition to make sure that the county board would consider starting a broadband authority in their county. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this isn't something that always starts as a formal process. There are going to be states that, um, for example, in California, where there's a more organized effort at the state level, um, that also would apply to places like Minnesota. Um, Washington has a state broadband office and officer. Um, Indiana, there are co- and also Illinois. Illinois recently, Governor Pritzker has really put a lot of um, not only attention but funding behind it to make sure that they are generating ideas and really supporting local projects. So I, I think that it's a combination of having community support, um, the political will, and also funding those ideas. Because in in isolation, all of those things might feel like they are for naught. But when you put all of those things together, you can create a certain amount of momentum where even if it starts with there just being a broadband officer (laughs) before there's an actual broadband office, uh, that's something that's so effective. Because if you look at a place like, for example, Colorado, um, you know, which is one of the most effective communications machines of a state broadband office, you know, I'm sure that that started as one person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now they're able to generate, you know, they don't only help on people who are involved in the conversation. You can go on there online to get resources for how do you get involved in applying for, you know, applications for federal funding or, you know, posting announcements. So I think that there's a wide variety of ways to be involved. And it, it doesn't matter if it starts with just one person making a whole lot of noise. That's better than nothing. Well, you're getting me all excited, and I, I do want to, uh, you know, continue <laughs> this because I, I you hit the, something that I do want to talk about. I want to talk about some of the federal, uh, let's say, policies and and opportunities that are now becoming uh, either not only more available, but they're bringing they're bringing them to the the forefront much more because there are more people talking about it. We're going to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Francella Ocello, who is the Executive Director of Next Century Cities. And we're talking about digital equity. This is Bite Marks Cafe. 
Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to Francella Ocello, who is the executive director of Next Century Cities. And, of course, right before the break, we were talking about how to take a, a little spark and turn it into a, a big flame. And, and of course, we're talking about uh, you know digital equity and, and broadband. That's something near and dear to my heart. And one of the things that you brought up, uh, Francella, was that you know the federal... Uh, agencies and I think you, I mean you're obviously very familiar with with uh, all the ones that uh, I've been I've been um, sort of knocking on the door of whether it's the FCC or the NTIA. You know, with the with the COVID um, crisis that we're in, I mean, there has been just a, a resounding resonance of of voices in terms of the need for kind of like universal access, universal service, uh, getting broadband access to everybody. What do you see on the federal level that seems to be, re, you know, I guess responsive to the need for achieving digital equity? Well, I think that probably uh, if focused specifically on digital equity, um, I would probably turn to the Digital Equity Act that was introduced last year. Actually, one of your senators, Senator Hirono, was one of the co-sponsors of that legislation with uh, Senator Murray and uh, others. And what that would do was essentially provide funding uh, in the form of community grants um, to institutions that were, you know, local entities, uh, you know, groups that were on the ground helping with digital literacy, skills training, um, making sure that you're increasing adoption. And that was probably um, definitively one of the best pieces of legislation um, to focus on supporting digital equity. In terms of what's come out the door uh, in, in response to COVID, um, there are several legislative proposals on the floor. Um, so the HEROES Act is a great example of one that was meant to address um, providing an emergency broadband benefit, um, which would be particularly helpful for um, newly uh, low-income Americans. And I refer to newly because there are a lot of people who did not consider themselves low-income um, and have been economically displaced over the last six months. Um, but it would provide emergency funding and help get some of those people connected. It would also um, expedite some broadband deployment projects and provide um, some other benefits. Um, I also think that, it, you know, the FCC has done its part to, uh, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, to at least rally uh, support from private sector stakeholders to say, what can you do? So to take a pledge to say either uh, we're going to provide, um, you know, uh, extra low-income service, um, we're going to, you know, help hand out whether it be um, laptops, iPads, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the, the the homework gap has probably been the piece of this that's gained the most attention. So a lot of the legislative uh, responses uh, have all been focused on making sure that kids had uh, what they needed to actually comply with remote learning mandates. And I want to give, you know, acknowledge that obviously it's a challenge. And even in places like, you know, uh, there are a lot of school districts where students, quite frankly, didn't have the tools to comply with those mandates and didn't get online in the spring semester. And so there are legitimate concerns about what happens in the fall. Um, and we've been able, I know a lot of states uh, and also municipalities have assigned CARES funding um, to, you know, assigning uh, whether it be iPads, laptops, 
converting that into passing it on to students. I know that some cities have actually partnered with, for example, Department of Transportation to put Wi-Fi on buses. There are actually some Wi-Fi on bus programs uh, in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And also in Hawaii, uh, your Department of Education has also handed out laptops. I believe it was over, uh, or at least some loaner devices, it was over 12,000 loaner devices to students across the state. So in terms of those responses, I think it's been a great response. Great. However, I think we need... No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But just really quickly, I think it's important for us to focus on the fact that these are all stopgap measures. These are all band-aids. Because the reality of the matter is we need to find a way for people to sustainably get online, not because they they borrowed a laptop or they had a six-month free program, but because they can actually rely on being able to get online to participate in a digital society. So I think there's just a larger question that needs to be answered, and that's going to have to be answered with strategy and with funding. Now, you brought up a couple of uh, uh, legislation, whether it's the the Digital Equity Act or Mm -hmm. HEROES. I mean, and both of them haven't really, uh, I mean, how far have they gotten? I mean, are they stalled somewhere in, in Congress? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? So, I, think that, I think both of them are stalled, right? I don't think right? there are any question marks about what's happening in Congress right now. Yeah. I think your better bet is going to be what's happening in your state and your cities. Mm-hmm. But I do want to remind people that even when something is stalled in Washington, D.C., you have power in your own zip code. And so, I, you know, it's like we don't have the, you know, the people who get to argue about these things and decide on whether they're going to vote on them very often have the luxury of being connected. And for the people who aren't connected, that is not an option to have that conversation and they're in survival mode. So out of respect for them, I, I would worry, I tend to worry less about what's not happening in D.C. And we definitely focus on celebrating the good that's happening in municipalities across the country that are figuring it out with or without support from their members of Congress. So when you when you look across the spectrum and you you get a you have a great purview of all the different uh, projects that are going on out there. I mean, what, what would you say are some of the more successful programs around digital inclusion and digital equity that are examples of how they put the right, you know, sort of key elements together and are achieving a sustainable, you know, a, a sustainable objective and goal to meet. Uh, Well, I'll tell you, I think that when I think about some of the most successful programs, what they have in common Mm -hmm. and what they have in common is very often that you have a very specific goal that your goal might be to say, we want every single resident to be able to get connected. Um, We want every resident to be able to afford um, their Internet connection, whatever is your goal as a municipality or as a state. Mm -hmm. Um, They also solicit some sort of stakeholder engagement. So I think that it's important to make sure that you're actually building with the community, not just saying that you're building it for a community and then not understanding why they don't buy in later. So it's important to involve them in different parts of the process. Um, They also have very specific uh, metrics to actually say this is success. And it's important to set those benchmarks for private sector. Very often those uh, measures of metrics of success can fit on a balance sheet. It might be that you need a certain return on your investment. It might be a timeline. It might be a percentage goal for adoption in a certain um, geographic area. And for other places, maybe if you're in a small town or a village, maybe success for your city village is to say we have 100% of our students who can get online. That's what they did in Kentucky. And they figured it out and they said, you know, we want to make sure that every single student has access to the same education 
and saw that as, yes, we're going to make that happen and decided as a state they were going to do it. Well, so you know, you've, there are lots of. Yeah, no, you've given me some great ideas, and, and Francella, I'm going to be calling you up <laughs> in my other capacity, <laughs> and we'll talk story later. So, of course, Francella Ocello, she is the executive director of Next Century Cities, and, and of course, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Keep doing the great work. And thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week when we will talk about Digital Currency Sandbox. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR One every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You stay safe and stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Oh,